Welcome to React Roundup. I'm your host for this podcast, an hour, I guess. And with me on the panel today is TJ Van Toll. <laughs> hey, everybody. And Paige Dieteringhouse. Hey, everyone. All right. And our guest today is Tommy Groshong, and he's here to talk to us about getting into management and aspirationally from developer's perspective, what that looks like in terms of a career progression and how that feels. But before we get into that, just wanted to let people know that we do have a Discord server and a Discord channel on that server, the React Roundup Discord channel. And if you want to go there and hang out with us anytime, we'd love to meet y'all and get your feedback on the show and get pretty questions you might have. So Tommy, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, Tommy Groshan. I've been an engineer for uh, just coming up on 10 years, so just starting to feel old, finally. And (laughs) (laughs) Jack laughs. And just recently moved back into management and kind of loving it and uh, happy to talk about, you know, both perspective of what's it look like, your career progression as as an engineer and where you want to go in your career and uh, kind of soft skills and good ideas for as you're moving into it and figuring out if it's something you want to do. So yeah, happy to be here and excited. Yeah, happy to have you. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there. And we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So maybe we could start by just, you know, what drove your 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 trip back into management? Was it something <laughs> you asked for? Were you thrown into it? Uh, just kind of curious your story and how that went. Sure, sure. Yeah. So this is kind of my second go around of like jumping into like the team management side, the managerial route. And uh, the first time around a few years back, it was definitely a uh, the kind of thing where I was thrown into it where it was like, no one else is doing this. You're kind of the most <laughs> like experienced person. So maybe you just do this. And like a sucker, I agreed to it. And like, yeah, sure. Why not? What could go wrong? You know, and I ended up like it was kind of a mixed bag where it's like, you know, I, I enjoyed at certain parts of it because I love I love dealing with people, even though I in a lot of ways, I am very introverted. I very much like I've liked almost every team I've ever been on and the people that I get to work with. And I just enjoy that part of the job of working with other people, uh, mm-hmm. especially smart people doing interesting things. I've always loved that. But at the time, though, it was kind of like I didn't really know what I was doing. I kind of came in with a lot of good intentions and with a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. But I still hadn't really figured out like what management you know, kind of felt like. So I did that for a little while. It was kind of a mixed bag. Moved Then after a while, I moved back into engineering to kind of because I kind of got burnt out on the the managing mm-hmm. side 
And after a few years of uh, especially uh, doing some engineering consulting and stuff, which was awesome, working with other teams again, and being able to bounce around different organizations and work with their teams and people, I realized once again, that that was there was this kind of missing thing in my career where I really as much as I love the technical stuff, I really missed the opportunity to work directly with teams and kind of, you know, operate more at, at a higher level of what do good, what does it look like helping a team reach their full potential. So then recently decided the, to go in and uh, go all in on that on that thing and make that a move back into management. And I've loved it. It's been about six months of being back in here. And it's been much better than the first time around. <laughs> What's different this time around? I'm curious. Mm -hmm. I think a little bit is like I came uh, kind of coming into it with uh, better expectations around what I'm looking mm. for and what I can what what I can and can affect. So kind of being a little more having more understanding and experience on that level. But also like I picked a a company and a team where I thought it would make a lot of sense where I felt really good about filling that role with that team rather than previously I picked a a job where it's like okay I really like that technical project. I have no idea how it would be to actually be a manager in a company like this. So kind of identifying different parts of, a, of the company that I kind of made sense to fill that role in because different companies, like sometimes I've been on teams where the engineering side is, is amazing and awesome to work with. But once you start getting into the more managerial side, all of a sudden that organization may have some weird political games that are completely hidden to yeah. engineers. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like you kind of when you're going into these different roles in a company, you kind of have to judge a company a little differently, depending on the mm -hmm. role that you want to fill. So that has helped a lot is kind of going in not only like me having done this before and kind of seeing where what what did and didn't go well when I first tried it and or mm -hmm. rather things that I could improve, but then also like specifically picking, OK, this would be a good company to do management at because I can see I'm aligned with other managers and stuff like that. I'm not going to be cutting against the grain on approaches. And that's, there's a big part of it that of that whole decision process that is really about like the people that you're going to be dealing with. So one thing I'm curious about is, uh, I'm curious your take on what an engineering manager should do or what responsibilities that person should take on because I've seen the role done so many different ways at so many different companies like everything from the engineering manager is basically just another coder on the team that has like the most responsibility all the way to like the flip end where the engineering manager is more or less just like an HR person that like doesn't touch the code at all and just like goes to meetings all day, all day. <laughs> and then I've also seen all like variations in between so I'm curious your take like if you could structure this role like how do you see it done best what would you recommend to like companies and organizations for how to create a role like that oh yeah no that's a really good thing to bring up because i've seen the exactly the same thing where there's so much variability because it is a very kind of softly squishily defined role which means that it normally is a role that accretes all these other responsibilities and stuff in into it the same thing it's like when you have when you have code you have some piece piece of code that has a lot of responsibilities it attracts more responsibilities as you go whether that's a React component or a big, scary class, complexity attracts other complexity. And it's the same with job roles. I think a big part of it kind of comes down to the kind of the stage and uh, maturity of the company that you're at. Younger companies will tend to, especially early stage startups, you kind of should always go into that expecting to wear many, many hats. And a lot of them you're going to you really an engineering manager should expect to get their hands dirty on code and mm -hmm. things like that. 
as those companies start growing and, you know, maybe move out of, you know, a startup moving out of series A and B and maybe into like series, you know, B, C, D plus, you know, once you start getting, you know, dozen engineers or so, that's when the managerial side of the job definitely takes off. So I think that engineering manager is always going to be a very softly defined thing because it different organizations have such different needs that they're trying to fill. When you're on a small team, being able to kind of be more of a very senior experienced engineer and be able to give engineering advice is really critical. Being able to help unblock engineers as they're doing work. That's one of the most important things you can do. And that's, you know, blending with being just a senior engineer, being a staff level engineer, you know, Mm -hmm. as teams scale and you get more people trying to to increase your delivery and do more with your code base, then things start to adjust where now the bottleneck tends to be coordinating across people. So you naturally end up uh, the need is now shifted where you need to spend a lot more time, you know, personally and as an organization figuring out how do we make sure that all these different people who are working on different things, their work is going together well. Mm-hmm. So tell yeah. me how or what is your preferred team structure? Like, do you prefer where you get to be kind of a coder and a delivery person, like a team lead almost? Or do you prefer more of the coordination across different teams in a larger organization? I definitely prefer the younger, smaller organizations. I love startups because I think they're they're a lot of fun and they they have a lot of things that they are. They have a lot of opportunities for really cool innovation because you have mm-hmm. people trying to solve new things with limited resources. And I, I've always loved that from earliest time uh, in my career. I've always enjoyed that. So I personally love the kind of smaller team size where I can get involved on technical decisions and give technical advice. I really like onboarding. This is something I figured out as a consultant for a long Mm. time where I was primarily doing implementation consulting, not just management consulting, but engineering Mm -hmm. consultant, like looking at code, being like, okay, here's how we can improve the code and make it more likely you're going to hit the deadline coming up. Yeah. And I love onboarding to teams, especially as a manager or somebody like that by coming in and trying to make some code submissions, because then you actually can be in touch with what does the development process actually look like? What does, where are the bottlenecks? Was it hard to get a development environment stood up? Was it hard to figure out where a specific change needs to be made? Or did, or was, were those things easy? And was it really difficult to, to get the, to babysit the, the change through, you know, through the code review process and then taking it all the way to deployment? Like, is the, is the problem that is there a bottleneck at actually getting changes in front of customers mm-hmm. and stuff? And that's the kind of thing that, uh, you can ask if you're really good at asking questions, you can kind of interrogate that out of people and figure <laughs> out where those things are. You have to be really good at asking questions and really good at kind of probing on like interviewing people. And, you know, it can be kind of tricky. But if you come from an engineering background, it's the kind of thing that you can get almost instantly just trying to put a PR through. So I highly recommend that for anybody who is like starting, you know, either onboarding to a new to a new company as a manager or is moving into management. And you probably are managing some teams or projects that you haven't had to work with. Like exercise your technical skills and try to actually like submit code because you learn so much just through that process. And that's why I think and the best engineering managers tend to be people who came out of engineering who wanted to have more of those soft skills and interactions. And the way that they're able to incorporate 
their kind of engineering expertise into their management, like the more dividends that pays out later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really well said. I, I like the bit about different companies need their managers to be doing different things just because all companies are they're structured differently. There are different phases of whatever it is they're building. And I'd say the the only time I've seen negative sort of interactions between developers and management is when the management had absolutely or very minimal technical experience. Because I feel like you always want, like, even if your engineering managers aren't day-to-day in the code, you know, submitting PRs all the time, having that background, like you said, people that came from a technical background that just discovered that they like some of the, the more manageable, like almost like product management type skills, I think can be quite successful. But I've been a part of larger organizations where we've had people that were brought in from other segments of the company. And then when they have absolutely no background, it creates this sort of internal resentment where (laughs) you're trying to like, it's almost hard to communicate if you have someone that doesn't come from, doesn't have that engineering experience and you're trying to like convey deadlines and timelines and backups and stuff like that. It creates this just weird dynamic. So I think... What do you mean you want I, testing? Just, yeah. <laughs> I, I, what is this testing so that you're talking about? Well, <laughs> yeah, because I feel like if you've been through it too, like yeah. if a development team is saying like, oh, we need to dedicate a month to like refactor this, right? Like mm-hmm. unless well, you've works. been through that yourself and know like the pros and cons, because I feel like that's where you need somebody with some experience that has said like, okay, like understands the long term, this might be a good idea. But at the same time, you also have to understand that developers always want to refactor everything. So you can't necessarily <laughs> give them free reign or else you do nothing. Right. So it's like things like that, that you need somebody with some experience to strike some balance on and be the decision maker. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a that's a really good point. There's uh, when I when I was doing consulting, one of the things that I would tell to a lot of the clients that I that I'd work with, because there a lot of them were in the similar spot where they were they were small companies who became successful and now were growing into big companies. And one of the hardest things to do in that transition period as a company, as as a person leading that company or guiding that company is navigating this this change where the things that you did to get to that success are not the things you need to continue doing to continue having success. Like the things actually change, which is Mm -hmm. really difficult. And I've seen that not just in tech, but I've seen that in businesses in general. When businesses start to grow and become successful, the thing, the behaviors and activities that were working for them and were driving the success that got them there, those things actually change out from under you. And like all of a sudden you can't keep doing the same thing because it simply doesn't work anymore. Either because you are, because like your market and customers start to shift a little bit as you grow in size or the people that you're working with and the coordination amongst them as the team gets bigger changes, like all these things start to change where, and sometimes people like start to think like, well, this this was the right way to do it before. The right way doesn't stop being the right way, does it? It's like, no, no, that was the right way facing the, in the environment and with the company structure and situation that you were in at that time. But now those things have changed. So you need to be able to adapt. And that's, that's one of the things we always try to lean into with Agile is prioritizing adaptability in our code and in our how we respond to when code needs to change. It's the same with organizations. And we need to be able to navigate those things where it's like, yeah, behaviors just need to naturally change as we're as we're progressing and as a company is progressing and stuff like that. So, OK, so really good point that's make. a good segue into what I, I think what a lot of folks want to know is I'm a junior developer, I'm a middle level developer, a senior developer, whatever I'm going to call it. 
And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do the programming grind for the rest of my life. I want to be a manager, right? So what are some skills? What are some things that I can show to my manager to, to get me noticed as somebody who wants to be, you know, a manager? What are some skills? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of hear two things. So I'm going to answer your question at the end. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. But what I kind of hear, uh, so one of the things that uh, comes to me very first is that when you're thinking about career progression and you want to, for yourself, you want to be able to identify which parts of your job you really like and you want to do more of. And your tastes in that do change over time. So you need to, it's not something you figure out once and then like you just know that that's always true. You need to kind of check in with yourself because guess what? We change over time. So you always want to be able to take regular check-ins with yourself to figure out which parts of the job you like at this stage versus which parts that you don't like as much and what would like to minimize. I'm a firm believer that all organizations should have two separate tracks for engineering career progression, that there should Mm -hmm. be like most places agree like there is a management track where it's like eventually you become a senior engineer and then at some point you become an engineering manager or, you know, a team lead, engineering manager, maybe someday director of engineering, et cetera. And that normally tends to be a little clearer because it just fits, it patterns very nicely onto the corporate structure that already has existed for a long time. So, but there's a whole nother side, which uh, organizations are kind of a little more hit or miss on in the tech space, where we need to also recognize that there needs to be, there always should be a career progression opportunity for the, for technical leadership, where it's like, okay, this person has continued to progress and become acquire expertise in the technologies we care about and really matter. And we want to be able to broaden that person's impact in the in the organization, which also includes give them more opportunities to to work with other parts of the, of, of the system and improve them, get more opportunities and access to people to help train them and mentor them. A lot of those things are, you know, really represent a, a kind of digression of responsibilities from the management track. And I think that that's one of the things that is most often missing in a lot of organizations is a recognition that, hey, someone after they become a senior engineer, that's normally the cutoff, right? You become a senior engineer and it's like, where do I go from here? Well, normally there's like some management thing you could potentially go into, but there should also be, and if there's not, you should definitely talk to uh, to your organization leadership that there should be a route for people who want to focus on and expand their technical contributions across the organization. So that being in mind, if you're the kind of person who is thinking like, maybe I want to go into the management track, I'd say that, you know, if you want to identify that thought in yourself, kind of figure out, do you like when, can you move into like a team lead role? And do you like working with people and helping them become better at what they're doing at their job, uh, help them become better at their day-to-day work, you know, that's kind of the first thing of like progressing out of beyond senior engineer is you start to look a little more outward and see how do I affect, how does my work affect the rest of the team? And if you start to enjoy more of the seeing people succeed and trying to figure out and enjoying the uh, finding ways to help people, you know, people on your team have fewer blockers, uh, you know, be more effective by not being pulled into meetings all the time and stuff like that, which I'm on an eternal crusade to get engineers out of out of meetings wherever possible. Oh, you're doing the Lord's work, sir. Yes. Yeah. See? (laughs) Once again, the kind of thing that if you came out of engineering, you, uh, you know, you tend to have a really good barometer for like, yeah, the more senior a person gets, the more everybody wants to pull them into a meeting, Mm -hmm. right? When you're wanting, if you're thinking that if you want to move into management, one of the 
kind of little, what would I call it, a little heuristic is, would you rather go to a meeting to make sure that no one else had to go to that meeting? It's like, mm-hmm. you might be an engineering manager. It's like, that. that's like a <laughs> really right there, you know? Which is something I kind of found early on, which is why I had initially moved into management, was that I was happy to do that was like, I'll go to this meeting so you guys don't have to. So you don't have to. And exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't have to. I'll go do that. And I'm good enough at communicating where I can kind of, I can relate to them what they would ask you. or And then I can relate back to you what they would ask. And there was enough trust there where people were like, yeah, sure, we're cool with that. And th- you always have those kinds of people who kind of make themselves known onto a team because you just have people who are, are good at communicating and who like to see in the same way that, you know, I think we see this a lot in engineering uh, with engineers and engineering minded people of people who are uh, driven crazy by inefficiencies and stuff. Sometimes you're driven crazy by just seeing code that's like poorly set up and working badly. And other times it's a process thing where you get driven crazy by seeing poor processes where you're like, we yeah. could be get so much more done if xyz terrible well, i think everybody knows happening. when they're in a meeting that they shouldn't be there like that's pretty much that's like <laughs> oh, a yeah. natural instinct like, yeah exactly. i haven't talked there this entire time so this i probably shouldn't email. be here yeah exactly <laughs> yes could have been an email that's that's a big one this could have been an email so i'm here with uh, jd from raygun jd we've been talking quite a bit lately about core web vitals and keeping track of the performance of your applications and one of the hard things is is that you kind of get this aggregated data from Google that changes over time, but it's got this lag on it. And I, I think we actually had some folks from Raygun where we were talking about, in particular, this problem and having some some way of getting faster feedback on this kind of a thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Google's official guidance is that you should be looking for a RUM tool and not relying on snapshotted data. So Raygun's RUM tool will collect all your core web vitals and Last time I checked, I think we were at about four to five seconds lag on ingesting data. So pretty close to real time on, wow. on how you're performing there. Um, but yeah, yeah, we have first class support in our real user monitoring product. Yeah, real user monitoring means that each request that comes in, each track that people follow, that's what gets tracked. And so you know your numbers right away. Yeah, that's right. Actual data from actual users. It's so much more valuable than synthetic data. Um, and you also collect it across the entire user base. So you can see, like, who are my 1%, you know, most disenfranchised users who experience the worst sort of performance. And, you know, between between us, Chuck, I'm stoked that Google's doing this because as a user of software, I want my software to go fast. And I'm really glad they're creating a business incentive for all of us to work on the performance of our software. Yep, absolutely. So, folks, if you want a real user monitoring tool that'll keep you on top of your core web vitals, go check out raygun.com. And you can actually just sign up for a free trial. The other thing, too, is if you're given the opportunity. So I've had a lot of friends and coworkers over the years that have went into engineering management. And it's it seems like one of those things that like you get a sense within a few months, whether you like it or not, from firsthand experience, too, because it and from amongst my friend groups, it's almost like a straight 50 50. Like some people just dis- discover it's their passion. They really love doing it. It becomes where their career goes. And some hate it and just run away, run away from it, go back to like straight development. But the thing is, it's another life thing that sometimes you don't truly know until you try. And I don't think the people that did it like regret it, right? You, you tried it for a while, you discover you didn't like it. And it's like a now you know situation. There's always time to go back into development. It's not like you lose anything by trying something out for a year and just experiencing something different too. 
Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that's a really good point. Like I can look at my own my own progression and say the exact same thing. Like I had to move into management to decide if I liked it or not. I realized that I did like management. I didn't like managing there, you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, it wasn't the right fit. But, you know, after, you know, having kind of a, you know, that kind of mixed experience the first time I did it, and then, you know, I needed to take, you know, a bit of a breather of like, okay, let me, you know, do, um, you know, go back to, you know, a comfortable spot of being in, in engineering where I know I'm, I'm solid and good and kind of regroup and see where I want to go. And after having time to introspect, be like, no, I really like m- not having that opportunity anymore. I really miss these, these ways of being able to help the team that I'm on. And then realizing, yeah, something's missing. I definitely should. It has been confirmed for me. So for me, I'm a bit of a slow learner because I had to like do it and then lose it before I realized, no, no, I, I do actually want to do it. Because when I when yeah. I had left that original management job, I was like, I'm never doing this again. That was a waste and stuff. And then after a little bit of time of of not doing it, I'm like, no, no, no. I really did like that. I just re- I realized now I didn't like that uh, that particular, you know, experience that I had. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, OK, so let's try this again. This time I'm going to try to correct for that by uh, interviewing the, you know, the potential company that I'm going for to see if it would be a good place to manage at, not just a good yeah. place to work at. Yeah. So one question that I have that I think comes up for a lot of I've seen a lot of people who move into engineering management on Twitter, or even ask this of their colleagues is if you're a manager who also is a contributor and adds code and works with the team very closely like that, how do you balance the time between being in the meetings that you need to be in to understand, you know, what's happening next and communicate that to the team, as well as keeping up with the code base and staying relevant with the new trends in the industry and contributing in a way that is meaningful, because that seems like a 24 hour job, not an eight hour job. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that's a really good one. And I've definitely like, I, I know exactly what you mean, because I've definitely felt that personally. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Because and here's the real truth is, that becomes harder as you progress in your career period. Some people think it only happens when you become you go into management, but it's just as true if you go into more technical leadership. You then start realizing that you now are unblocking problems that are very different than what and you know, designing solutions and and kind of dealing with things at a level that don't keep you down in the nitty gritty of how things get implemented. And you do a lot more mm-hmm. of, hey, this would be a good idea of how we should structure these things and implement these things for these for these reasons and these uh you know this would be a good approach to do and then you end up like even as a technical leader you end up handing a lot of that stuff off to be uh implemented you know hopefully you still you know are able to carve out time where you know you can be involved a little bit because you don't want your skills especially if you're you're still going that you know technical leadership route you don't want your skills to ever totally atrophy and (laughs) i think it's right i think it's also a good thing to kind of remember on the management side is that those technical skills do atrophy after a while if you don't continually feed them. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I, I would encourage any new manager or, you know, longtime manager to do is the same way that it's generally recognized to be a very good practice to give your team explicit time to take for themselves in order to like further their, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of continuing education or like a lot of places will do like flex time with, you know, you should spend X number of hours a week 
trying out doing your own projects, doing your mm-hmm. own research on, you know, blog posts, maybe writing your own blog posts and stuff like and stuff like that. I think you're starting to see that get picked up a lot more in the industry, which is a very good thing because we're st- we're starting to explicitly recognize how important it is to for people to kind of break out of the day to day, the day to day work in order to have that self growth and self edification. So if we recognize that's a good idea at just the the engineer level, why wouldn't that be a good idea at the manager level? Like it still is, and it's still just as important. You may have to adjust like how the actual details of how it works, because yeah, as an engineering manager, you definitely do get pulled into a lot more meetings. And the annoying <laughs> thing about meetings is they they tend to like. The way that they block out your time, it's like, okay, in a tw- in a 30 minute meeting, probably 10 minutes of it is normally like really valuable. If you're really good at doing meetings, you'll end the meeting, like you'll, you'll front load it, get all the good stuff out in the first 10 me- minutes and then end the meeting end the early. Meeting. You end the meeting yes. early. That is the, that yeah. is the one true way is solve the problem. <laughs> and then you end that meeting early. You know, that's the way to go. But like, again, back to that same point, like if we recognize that giving developers time, uh, developers and engineers time to personally like improve their craft, then that being a good idea, like naturally that says that, you know, managers aren't much different, like they need time to actually spend, uh, they need to be able to set aside time and protect that time where it's like, okay, for even if it's 20 minutes a day where they can just be more focused on like a technical skills, uh, especially, but also like as a manager, you, you want, you also want to work in things of like, how do I be a better manager? How do I deal better with people and improve my communication? You kind of broaden the amount of uh, skills that you're trying to do because you're trying to, you know, not lose too many of your, of your engineering, you know, technical skills while, but you got to have to lean into you're going to lose a little bit of that stuff because you're just not going to be doing it at the same rate as you were doing it before. But that doesn't mean that you have to let it go completely dull and completely useless. You don't have to completely let it atrophy. (laughs) But you should always prioritize being able to effectively take some time on a recurring basis. And it's better to have 20 minutes every day than two hours once a week, Mm. uh, just time management wise. I think as you as you progress in your career, and this, again, this is one of those things that applies to technical and management leadership, you find that time management becomes more and more important because you're taking on so much more responsibility, regardless of which avenue you're going down, you're taking up so much more responsibility that you need to be, you know, you really need to level up your game and how you manage your time. That's probably one of the biggest Mm. tricky parts to learn as you're progressing in your career. If you want to take on more responsibilities, like you normally don't lose that many responsibilities. You can delegate some things, you can kind of lose some things, but at the end of the day, you whichever route you go, you normally take on more responsibilities than you lose. So <laughs> kind of you know going into that eyes wide open, if you really want to progress in your career, regardless of which way you go, you really want to become more disciplined at how you manage your time, regardless, because you're always going to have those things. It's like as a senior engineer, like I found like just on the technical side, like I would have more ideas for pr- projects that I wanted to do than I would have time to do those projects. So it's like that same problem yeah. still. It's like, and when I was a young engineer, it's like that wasn't too much of a problem because it's like, I'm that's that's kind of beyond my you know, my abilities to kind of do. So I'm just not going to worry about it. Once you become really good, because you've been doing it for 10 years, you're like, all of a sudden, it's like, no, I can literally do anything. The question is, (laughs) how do I balance it? And time management becomes increasingly important as your career progresses. Yeah, my my wife is in a very senior developer role. And it's it's funny, the things she complains about now are like, she'll get thrown on the like, super hard pull request sort of deal, right? Where... (laughs) 
it's easy to get sucked in for like, you could lose a day on like an important, like somebody sends you something like this, here's an important feature for our system, right, that we want to integrate. And it's like up, you're the person that's responsible for making sure that that thing works and is maintainable and stuff like you can easily just get your all the time for your personal development just gone through things like that or you know meetings for senior technical people also super common so it's it's constantly a fight it is you got to constantly defend it yeah i think that it also you know we've been talking about how you progress and how you go to that next level but i think there's also something to be said that is talked about a lot less but you can stay at the level that you're at if you like Mm. what you're doing and you really like the position that you're in and you like writing code or you know whatever it is that you you're doing you don't necessarily have to always be progressing to that next level or looking to get to that next level. Like I worked with developers at my last company who had been in development at that company for 25 years, and they were very happy being senior engineers. You know, they they came in, they did their work, they got to do exactly what it was that they wanted, which was to write code all day and work with interesting people but they didn't necessarily want to get to that next level where they would have to take on either team lead responsibilities or be in more meetings or do whatever it was that the next the next role up the ladder required and there's there's nothing wrong with that if you found that place that you really like and you get to keep solving interesting problems and you really get to do what you're enjoying the most you don't necessarily have to go beyond that you can yeah. you can just say i really like where i'm at <laughs> Yeah, more senior positions can come with more, you know, more money, more like all these things, but they can also come with more time taken up, more stress. It's it's always a balancing act. There's a reason that those positions there's a reason they well offer as, you more money. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. You're yeah. giving something in return. <laughs> yeah, you are. And I think that's a really good point to bring up. And uh like the thing that comes to my mind about it is you shouldn't take on more responsibilities for anyone other than yourself. Like when you're like when you're looking at progressing your, uh, you know, your craft or your influence in the company, your career, whatever. It's like you should do that for you and you should do that because you're ready for it. You shouldn't do it because like, well, that's the next thing you do. You know, you shouldn't do that because, well, like I've been encouraged by a mentor that I really respect that this is the next step in my career that I should take. That's that may be really good advice for for you, or it may be something where it's like, I am honestly happy where I am. And I would rather, uh, you know, focus here. And and it's the kind of thing that again, like going back to one of those early points, you don't feel the same way all the time, right? You you may find that, yeah, you technically could move, uh, move into a uh, more technical leadership role, or a managerial role, you may find like, at some points, like, I could do that now, but I don't actually, but are, have you in, you know, self introspected to say, like, do you, is that something you're actually ready to do and want to do right now? Because you don't want to fool yourself into saying, like, no, 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 I should want to do this thing. So Mm -hmm. I will, because that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a path for pain. Or there's a societal expectation that, you know, you've been there or whatever, you're X years old. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you should be a manager. What the heck are you doing still, you know, doing this kind of thing? (laughs) Ambition and drive are really good things. Like, and they can push you to really good heights. But you need to be able to balance that with really what you want out of life. Do you actually want to focus on adopting all these new responsibilities 
right now. Because honestly, like I, I do think it's a bit of a myth that you like miss your chance at doing something because guess what? Like in tech, oh, Lord, no. there's yeah. always another job. It's like, I don't, I don't buy the idea that like you have one, you have a chance. And if you don't take that chance, you're going to miss it. It's like, no, like there's all, like there will be other chances and it's better to do a, to do a jump when you, when you're ready for it rather than saying like, well, yeah, like the, I have that expectation set by something else, someone else, somewhere else that I should do this next thing. It's like, look, do it for you. Always prioritize doing it for you first. Yeah, I feel like that mentality that you're going to miss it if you don't like jump at it comes from an era where people used to work for the same company for 30, 40 years. And like that technical manager role is opening up. And if you don't grab it now, right, it's it's not going to be available for another five years (laughs) or whatever. Whoever gets that job is going to be in it for 30 years. So you don't want to miss it. You get a nice cushy office, the one with the blinds, and it's going to be, you know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. True. If that I want a better true. corner office, you know, I just decorate <laughs> my current office, you know. Right. It's like, boom. My it's home either office. that or it's the kind of FOMO where some some company that you've been lusting after working for forever comes to you and says, hey, we've got an opening. And even though it's not the tech stack that you want, or it's not really the opening that you were were looking for, it's like, oh, it's this company. And if I can get in there and I can do well, then maybe I can move into the place that I really want to be. And I've had those sort of situations and I've had those conversations. And you realize as you're talking to somebody that this is not at all the position that you are suited for or really want. And But it's so hard faced with that and the possibility of what could happen to kind of back away and say, no, this is this is not what I'm suited for. This is not what you need. This is not what I need. But it's really, like you said, it really, it comes down to knowing yourself and kind of having a list of what do I want in either my next position or in my future career? And is this this thing going to help me get there? Or is it really just kind of a distraction along the way? Mm -hmm. I love that you connected that to like to FOMO, the fear of missing out, because I I think that does drive (laughs) a lot of things here. It's like, it's like, I don't want to say that that doesn't exist, that there isn't there aren't opportunities that come up once and then you like totally miss them. And you may never get those opportunities back. It's like, I, I do believe that those exist. And I've maybe experienced that, I think, one time in my entire career. And I've had a pretty broad career doing a lot of different things. I think that has maybe come up like very clearly one time. And I'm not even convinced, like, I know that I missed out on an opportunity. I'm not convinced that that opportunity was necessarily better than what happened later. I just know that that was, <laughs> yeah. that door came, that door was a temporary thing and that door went away. But for the most part, the other 99% of opportunities that have come up, like, those doors are kind of always open, especially uh, if you're focusing on doing your best work, being a good member of an organization and adding value where, where you can, you find that more do- doors are opening than there are doors doors closing. So a lot of times that that fear of missing out is really just a thing in our head that we need to kind of deal with more than anything else, because pretty rare in my experience that you legit miss out on like that one great opportunity. And I think too, we can say this a bit from a position of privilege, just because the software development world is just so good for to be such a good place to be in right now. I think that's what affords us some opportunity to do that. Because I think in some other industries, you have to be grinding a bit because there are limited jobs and you have to make sure that 
you're getting the next one and the next opportunity. But the fact is, there's so many if you're you're listening to a react podcast right now, there are so many react jobs out there. There's there's (laughs) an absolute ton. If you want to be a react senior developer, if you want to be a react technical manager, if you're looking to be like a new junior position, like it's a great time to be a JavaScript or React person. And so you'd be stupid not to take advantage of it, though, right? Like take advantage of the the flexibility that that you have and enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that that goes along with that, that is sometimes like people don't always jump there doesn't always jump to their mind is it's never been easier to do to take a side project and make it like a real thing entrepreneurship is still hard, but like all things considered in the tech world, you know, even regardless of like the rest of the ecosystem, it's really never been easier to do your own, launch your own service, launch your own product, be your own boss. Like that has literally never been easier. So it's like, I think we are definitely in a position of privilege that is not that is on one hand is kind of just the ecosystem and the, the industry and market that we're in. But on the other hand is also just a sign, uh, just a part of the age that we're in where the costs to doing something yourself are so low that like that's something that's on my mind a lot of and and I think is it's a healthy thing for people to have uh, you know to a certain extent is if there's something that you really want to do or accomplish in the world there are very few roadblocks for you just doing it yourself than you know compared to you oh, know sure. historically what's been true yeah. doesn't mean it's easy it's definitely not an easy thing <laughs> but the, the the roadblocks that are typically there just don't exist in the tech world you know oh, man the joke used to be you had to start it in your garage but now that's like the expectation right you you don't move yeah. out of everybody's just in their own like garages or apartments until you hit like well, heck, you could just stay totally remote, right? You don't even need to have an like the barrier is so low. Now it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. 100%. Never been. Well, low. Tommy, this has been awesome. I'm going to do my traditional TJ thing and ask if there's anything that we you think we should have covered so far that we haven't covered. I'd say one thing that's kind of on my mind is not just in management, it's kind of just engineering in general, is the idea of uh, trying to have a clear picture in your mind when you're thinking of like a good a good product, good team and software is trying to be clear on which parts of it you have control over and which parts you don't. Mm-hmm. That's something I've been thinking about a lot uh, because it, it becomes like a bit of a longevity in the in the market and a kind of protection of your own mental health and uh, prevention against burnout is trying to be clear with yourself on which things do you actually control, which things do you not. And in software, I think like we tend to uh, it's like when you think about really good software, it's like I like to break it down to kind of like four things. You have like the solution itself or the problem that it's solving, the design of the software that's being used, and then the quality of the software itself and you know how defect free it is and then lastly like your ability to deliver and deliver changes and deliver improvements to it like those are kind of the four things engineers have direct control over two of them right engineers don't really have like on a normal day job a normal project that you're not doing completely yourself like engineers don't really have much direct control over the problem solution and we don't have a lot of direct control over even the interface when you really come to think about it. Who has real control over that? The product people and the designers. They really have it, be, you yeah. know, and and I'm glad they do because there is a ton of work that goes into that of talking to customers and being able to be like, OK, what went, what is going well with this interface? What is not good about this interface? What can we change? There is so much work there. And I think it's really easy to trivialize that. 
But when we really look down on it, the only two things that engineers, whether you're management or whether you're uh, just a, an engineer, the two things you have direct control over are quality and delivery. And a lot of the things that we do should really be focused around how do we improve the quality, reduce defects, and how do we increase our ability to deliver value? And kind of being able to kind of demarcate you know, those areas where this is where we have influence and this is where we have control. And you know, that doesn't mean that you don't concern yourself with design and with like the actual problem and, and solution of the, of the product, because you should be. But really what that is identifying is your role as an engineer is trying to make sure that there aren't dropped handoffs between you and someone else, because the real controlling part of that is with somebody else. And it's really on you and especially on you as a manager to make sure that those interactions and stuff happen. And when you look at something like agile projects and agile, you know, uh, methodologies and stuff, so much of them come down to how do you handle uh, those transitions between teams and try to cut barriers out of those things being a problem because it is in a very implicit way kind of centering this idea that some things engineers have direct control over and in other things we're very much downstream of what things are going and be able to have that clearly in your head it helps you to kind of know like where should improvements go but it also helps you to uh kind of protect your own your yourself against having unreasonable expectations about things yeah for sure for sure. Pretty much it for me, though. All right. Well, so well, I think that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the best managers take care of the mental health of the people that work for them, for sure. Yeah. You know, and keep that 100%. Idea. Yep. Yeah. Nothing will kill a team faster than people getting burnt out and then, oh. and then trying to leave. Like, or even like if they, like, best case scenario, they get burnt out and they don't leave. Like, that's still no solution. But nothing will kill a team or nothing will kill a product faster than that, you know, yeah, for sure. Quite honestly. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships, and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. All right. Well, I think that brings us to our picks section. And let's start us off with TJ this week. TJ, what's your pick for the week? Sure. I'm going to pick Only Murders in the Building. It was oh. actually a recommendation from a previous guest of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. So I watched it because I, I love a good murder mystery. And it was entertaining. It was good. I only watched season one, which I think season two is now like Halfway, maybe out. more than half. Oh, okay. yeah. It's right. I. I usually because I usually binge seasons, so lots of times uh, I wait until wait until they're all the way done. Um, <laughs> but I was uh, we were we went on a short camping trip, and I was antisocial. I downloaded the whole season so I could just <laughs> watch it in the tent. So <laughs> maybe don't recommend that. But it was the, the show was nature good. And also <laughs> my iPad. <laughs> yeah, there, there's your pro tip. Download shows you want to watch before you get to the campsite and you don't have internet. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Also, a pro All tip right. for parents when you're going on. Oh my trip. gosh! Yeah, yes. download everything to to the devices. There you oh go. Apps have gotten gosh. really good about letting you do. It used to be really sketchy, but now they pretty much all have really easy ways 
of letting me do oh, that. Oh, yeah. 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 Offline. Now mode. that you don't have to carry pirated content on your device anymore. <laughs> <laughs> never did that. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. Okay. All right. Well, Paige, what's your pick for the week? My pick this week is going to be a book series that I started recently, and it's called Outlander, which is also, ah. I think it's a Stars or a Showtime yes. show as well. But these are the books that it's based on. And I'm only, I don't know, not too far into the first one, first book, but really enjoying it because it's such yeah. an expansion on the parts of the TV show that were great. And it's fun reading Scottish accents written down. And it's it's really just it's very enjoyable and like takes you out of whatever it is that you might be thinking about otherwise. And you really get into 18th century Scotland. So, you know, if you like kind of fantasy but history intertwined with it and you want to read about the moors of scotland and all kinds of stuff that was a problem back then i would definitely say that it's it's a good one filled with sword fights and romance and all the things that everybody enjoys so yeah that's what i'm gonna pick this week awesome my wife loves the books loves the show so oh my god she's tried to get me into it for years (laughs) yeah my wife and my and my sister uh, read all i think all the books and also like there's there's a side series with lord john and i mean oh, wow it's, it, it's an expansive <laughs> universe of books i haven't gotten that far into it yet but <laughs> so far so good all right tommy what's your pick sure my pick is i really love uh movie reviews and movie analysis so uh, there's a new podcast that's up called Should I See This Movie, which is a lot of fun. Mm. It's uh, So you can find it wherever podcasts are. But Should I See This Movie? And so it does. Uh, they do like, yes, no. Like, should you see the movie? Should you not see the movie? And then they do fast reviews. Just be like, OK, here's mm. a, here's the highlights of what why you should or shouldn't does. Uh, spend your time on this uh, on this particular movie. So it's a lot of fun, kind of a newer podcast is so still kind of young. But uh, when they put out content, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, should I see cool. this movie podcast? It's an awesome name too. It's yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what you want to know. Should I go see exactly this? Exactly what you want to know. Yeah. Should I see okay. this movie? There you go. <laughs> right? You know, I think there's a, there was a, a site a long time ago called Run to Pee, which is like when during yes. the movie it slows down enough to when you can go to the bathroom and come back. When it's okay to go. It's hilarious. Because there's always something, you know, it's like The Hobbit or whatever. They are trundling along in nowhere. All 20 right. different well, spots uh, in the movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. That was a bad, bad, bad example. All right. So let me see. My pick for the week would be uh, Westworld season four. Westworld's back for its fourth season, and where the third season kind of went off the rails into kind of wow, what the heck is going on? <laughs> season four is still what the heck is going on, but somehow more explainable. So definitely a <laughs> bit more enjoyable this time around. Still the same sort of idea though incredibly hot people in incredibly beautiful places with random acts of violence kind of thrown in you know and and weird existential talk all the time so yeah if you like that sort of thing uh, i'll definitely watch it when the season is finished (laughs) yeah is this like the other west worlds yes Ah. is this like the like in terms of the grand scheme of things is this like the last season getting towards the end like is there do we know where where they're going you know every season was like what are they gonna do now you know it's like what what next right and like i think anthony hopkins got whacked at the end of season one and you're like well how do they do what what do they do with that that guy was, was really big and it's like nope they figured out a way to come back for season two it's like all these things you know you ever know you never know like how they're gonna come back if it's good then <laughs> they, they wrap it all up but then somehow they reopen it again 
Yep, there's a cliffhanger right. still. Excellent. So this has been really fun. Thank you, Tommy, for your time. And we will see you all next week. Bye, everybody. See you then. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.